Amen. Thank you for entering in, worshiping with us. Um, you know, I, I think of Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of our gracious God because of what Christ has done for us. And there we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I believe there are times in a corporate worship gathering like this, or sometimes when you're just sitting before the Lord uh, in your own quiet time, that you're receiving something, whether it's mercy. Mercy is withholding what we deserve. So maybe we felt like we deserve a tongue lashing, and so we're afraid to go into the presence of God. Um, but we get mercy when we get there, and we, we find grace. And we don't always know what we're receiving until later on when we need it. Does that make sense? And so appreciate the time that we get to take and just wait. Um, and I know that sometimes in a service like this, when it's just quiet and nothing's happening, people get nervous, but it's okay to just let the Lord uh, do whatever he needs to do in our hearts that sometimes we can't even put our finger on until later on. So just a, a couple of announcements real quick before we dive into the message today. Um, connect cards again. If you want a printed version, they're out on the table in the lobby. The QR code is on the screen. You can use that to share prayer requests, comments, changes to name, address, phone number, any of that. Uh, utilize those. Tonight, House of Prayer at 6 o'clock in the downtown location. So our downtown office, 6 o'clock, House of Prayer tonight. No connection point again this week as Thaddeus has been challenging you over the last couple weeks. Feel free to connect on your own. Uh, but we're, for the month of August, not going to be having connection point on Wednesday night. But we'll restart again uh, in the fall once we restart our um, youth service on Wednesday nights as well. And so be watching for those. The food giveaway this week, um, the Ministerial Association in town puts on a food giveaway. And if you want to be a volunteer for that, um, they need help starting, I believe, at 11 o'clock. That day, the food giveaway itself starts at noon. It's at People's Transit. So if you or someone you know is in need of that food, uh, you can send them there at 12 o'clock that day. People start lining up way before 12 o'clock, so actually you could uh, get your car over there and get lined up a little bit earlier too. Also, don't forget our church phone number has changed to a mobile number, so if you don't have that yet, it's only going to be about a couple more weeks until we cancel that old number, so you can either get that number from us. It's on all of our websites, church center pages, everything uh, we believe. If you find it somewhere in its old form, please let me know. I did have one person reach out and uh, say they saw our old phone number somewhere. We're trying to get all of that changed over, so please uh, get that to me and let me know that. And then uh, stop by the table in the back. Offering baskets are back there. You can give today. You can also give online by texting 84321 or using Church Center to do that. Uh, thank you for your faithful giving over the last several uh, months. And uh, we, I just want to encourage you, today is not a help fund Sunday, um, but our help fund is in need of some help. So if you've got some extra and want to give somewhere this month, um, I'd tell you to funnel it uh, in that direction and so you can stop by the table a lot of information out there our books are out there we've been in a series since last October is when we started the book by John Ortberg called the life you've always wanted uh, it's a sermon series that we've been doing but also the corresponding chapters in the book and John writes about the life that Jesus made available to us through his death and resurrection and how we can use spiritual disciplines in order to access that life. We've received that life through Jesus, 
but sometimes it doesn't show up in our day-to-day lives. And John talks about how to use spiritual disciplines to train us to live out that life. And it's a great resource, one that I go back to often, one that I think you'll go back to as well. So there are still copies of that available, even though we've only got three more weeks in the series. Um, Those books are out there as well. Um, John actually refers to this as Dallas Willard for Dummies. Um, If you've ever read a book by Dallas Willard, sometimes you have to read maybe a a few times through that page to really get what Dallas Willard is talking about. And so John himself says, um, Dallas Willard writes a lot about spiritual disciplines, and he said this is Dallas for dummies. So uh, if if you want the cookies on a lower shelf, uh, it's a great resource for you there. And so Back in October when we started, the first couple chapters introduced us to spiritual disciplines and how to utilize them. Then in November, we talked about the spiritual discipline or the practice of celebration. Then we talked about the practice of slowing, the practice of prayer, the practice of servanthood, the practice of confession, the guided life and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the practice of secrecy or the practice of generosity or giving, And then in June, we were talking about the reflecting on Scripture or how God's Word is utilized in our lives. And then July, the well-ordered heart, the well-ordered heart. And then starting at the end of July and now all through the month of August, we're talking about the life of endurance, a life of endurance. And really, that's the only title I put on my message today is a life of endurance. And I know uh, Justin and Thaddeus have done a great job over the last couple weeks filling in. It is so, it's such a joy to be able to, to sit at home. No, it's not a joy to sit at home. It's a joy to be able to sit at home and be able to watch um, our team here be able to do things without missing a beat. Like, I love the fact that I'm here today, but I love the fact that when I'm not here, um, there are people that can minister to us in that way. And they did a great job of starting us on this journey of endurance, that firm foundation, Psalm chapter 1, the perspective that we need on suffering. Um, Justin picked up on that last week, talking about the journey is just as important as the destination. Um, even joking with us a little bit that, uh, you know, James says that suffering helps make us perfect and complete. And he joked with us that maybe I don't want to be perfect and complete. Uh, and we all know that. We know that sense of I don't really want to suffer. Um, I wish there was a better way. But some things can only be learned through the difficulties. And so we talked about the marathon and the marathon training, and Justin did that a little bit. And I had the opportunity back in 2009. This is the Brookings Marathon. Look at that fancy thing right there. If you're a runner and you've ever run in a marathon, you are super proud of these finisher medals. Uh, They give out medals not to everyone who starts the race, but to everyone who finishes the race. So these are finisher medals. Uh, I don't know what you get if you win. I've never been around when that person crosses the finish line, and so (laughs) I'm not exactly sure. But in 2009, uh, a group of us had run in a marathon over in Brookings to raise money for Speed the Light. Lots of youth pastors around the state. There was one other friend of mine that uh, I was in college with. We were pumped. We were ready. We knew about the Uh, beginning of the race the adrenaline so we were like ready to run slow and we did we felt like we were running really slow but we knew that we needed to in order to be able to finish somewhere around mile 11 he's like hey uh, you just you go on ahead because he knew that I was speeding up and he was not Um, I'm 
I'm a runner by trait. That's what I love to do. He is not, um, but he does run and he enjoys running, but uh, that's not his uh, area of expertise or giftedness. And so uh, he let me go on ahead. I finished that marathon in four hours and seven minutes. I learned a lot and knew I wanted to do another one. So I I was set up to do one the next year, but in the midst of training for that, I got injured. And Scott Holzimer, if you remember him, was actually training with me um, because he felt like I needed some help, um, encouragement, and he hates running, uh, but he was going to do it to help encourage me. Like, that's the body of Christ right there. I mean, I hate running, but I'm going to run with you because I want to help you train. Um, But I got injured. So he actually used my registration and ran the Twin Cities Marathon, and I did not that year. So it's funny how things work out. Um, But then I didn't run another marathon until 2016, and I didn't expect to go seven years, but I ran the Fargo Marathon, and uh, I love the Fargo Marathon because on the back of this is Hebrews 12.1. It's etched in there. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Uh, This is the finisher medal from Fargo way better than Brookings. Sorry, Brookings Marathon, but that baby is worth the 26.1 miles right there. But I went into that race fully expecting to run three hours and 30 minutes. That was my goal. And I was going to do it. Uh, I was prepared for it. I had trained for it. I was ready. There is a... um, there is a, uh, a pacer, if you will, that will hold up a sign. It's actually like three hours and 28 minutes. And they'll run with that sign. And if you want to run that time, you run with that pacer. And they're all through the crowd. And so there's different times. Wherever you want to be, you run with that person. They help pace you, especially at the beginning. Well, somewhere around um, mile 11, my pacer went to the side and he collapsed. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, that's not good. But we were on pace, and I was feeling good, and I'm like, man, this is, this is good. I'm ready for this. Uh, I'm, I'm on pace. I'm training. I had a cross-country group of guys that had come up. I coached cross-country at James Valley Christian, and uh, a couple of them came up to surprise me, and they're cheering me on, and I'm just loving this. We're, it's good. It's slightly warm. It's in the 70s. It's very humid in May. Um, we're not really ready for that kind of weather in May sometimes, but feeling good and I got to the half mile or the half marathon 13.1 miles ahead of pace I was at 144 which was like a PR I didn't even run a half marathon that fast and so I'm like yes this is good somewhere between mile 14 and 15 something bad happened Um, I have been running since about 14 racing track cross country road races and never once in my life have I gotten a cramp while running never I mean, I've had cramps while stretching or while doing other things at at my age. Now I feel like I get a cramp just, you know, getting out of bed in the morning. But that's totally different. But all of a sudden, both of my calf muscles cramped up instantly. And it, I mean, it stopped me in my tracks. It was painful. I'm like, what is that about? So I stretched them out a little bit. And then I, uh, you know, they stopped. They settled down. So I started running again. And sure enough, a couple blocks later, cramped up again. Now, at that point, I realized I could just quit. Like, this is hard. I don't know. This is going to keep happening. Um, but then I'm like, no, I came all this way, and I'm getting the finisher medal. Like, come on. I mean, I paid money for this. I have spent months training for this. I have run on treadmills. I hate treadmills, but I've, I mean, in February, sometimes that's all you can do. And so 
I just kept going. And sometimes I would be able to go like a block or three blocks without cramping, but then all of a sudden it would cramp and I'd have to stop and walk until I could go again. Uh, and at one point I realized I'm not going to make three hours and 30 minutes, but I'm going to beat 407. Like that's what I'm going to do. Like that's the goal I've, I've just set for myself. And some, you know, the, fir the first time the cross country guys saw me walk and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to punch you. Because <laughs> that's totally what I would have said to them in a race too. But um, I was cramping up. So I get to the end and uh, we're driving home from Fargo. I, you know, took a shower, got all ready. It was brutal. Like my legs were so just wiped and dead from the cramping. Um, and so I chewed ice. I love to chew ice. So I got those two at 7-Eleven in Fargo, like two big old cups of ice. They have the good ice, like Sonic ice, like the little tiny ones. Chewed two big cups of that, drank water all the way to Watertown. We stopped at B-Dubs. We ate lunch. Um, drank four glasses of water at B-Dubs and kept going. Now, we get to Desmet. If you've ever been on a road trip with me, I can't make it to Sioux Falls without stopping for a potty break. Okay, so for me to go from Fargo to Desmet and stopping for lunch. And then I finally realized, oh, I think I have to go to the bathroom. So I went in and I don't want to be harsh or crude, but my urine was so dark, it was almost brown. And then it dawned on me, I'm dehydrated. <laughs> How did that happen? Like, I don't understand. I was drinking for, during the race. I stopped at every water stop. Like, how did I get dehydrated? And then I got mad because I'm like, I didn't hit my goal. I got dehydrated. Like, what is this about? Then I remembered, I woke up in the morning, probably with pre-race jitters, so my stomach was not settled. And I was like, I don't want to have to stop at a potty, like during the race, like a porta potty. Uh, so uh, I'm going to take two Imodium AD. That was the dumbest thing. Imodium AD dehydrates your body. <laughs> so if you ever run a marathon, don't take Imodium AD. But at least I learned from my mistake. And I had the, you know, the strength to just be able to persevere and say, you know what, I'm not going to hit my goal, but I'm going to make a new goal in the midst of this. And, you know, we've been talking about marathons. And John Ortberg, all the way back in chapter 3, because some of you never will run a marathon in your life, have no desire to run a marathon in your life. Um, I actually realized that my seven-year cycle is 2023. I don't know if I'm going to be ready in 2023, so we might have to stretch that a little bit. But I know I'm going to run another one at some point. But uh, the, John likens the, the spiritual disciplines in our lives to training for a marathon. And he does it in this way. If you remember in chapter 3, he talked about the Olympic team coming to your door and coming in and saying, you know, we have studied you. We have done blood tests on you. We have like, we've hacked into your system. I know that sounds creepy, but they're like, you are the perfect candidate for the U.S. marathon team, and we think you're going to win. And they start talking to you about it. They show you all this scientific data, why you're the one that's chosen and why they're picking you. And you start getting excited and you're like, man, this is great. I'm going to be on the marathon team and I'm going to win this marathon. And then all of a sudden the reality hits you. You can't run a marathon. But they're going to help you and they're going to train you and they're going to get ready. And John uses that illustration as silly as it might sound. Because when we, we become followers of Christ, when we put faith in what he did, we're on the team. And we are chosen to be a part of this team. And the spiritual disciplines are not about trying harder to live out a certain life. 
the certain life has already been given to us through what Jesus did. The spiritual disciplines are meant to train us to live out the life that we've already been chosen for. And he compares those spiritual disciplines in such a brilliant way, I thought. And he compares it to learning a musical instrument or whether you're learning a foreign language or our spiritual lives, that these things that we do or use in our lives are not so that we can earn something or earn a spot, but so that we can be trained to actually live out the life that's already been given to us. The connections in the scripture between endurance, the marathon, a race, are all throughout the scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that I alluded to that's on the back of my medal, says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. That's a reminder that there are some things that need to be stripped off that aren't quote-unquote sin, but they're slowing us down. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. This life of endurance, you'll find the word endurance or perseverance or overcome all throughout the Scripture. When Jesus is talking to us about the last days that are coming on the earth in Matthew chapter 24, in Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not the one who starts the race. You don't get the medal for starting the race. You get the medal for enduring. And sometimes the race from start to finish is ugly. Sometimes it didn't go like we planned. Sometimes we got to reset. Sometimes we got to walk a little bit. Sometimes we might even sit down for a moment and just have a good cry. But whatever it is, we keep moving forward. When Jesus spoke through the, through the Apostle John to the churches in the book of Revelation, the seven churches, over and over the message to them was, to the one who overcomes, I will give this. To the one who overcomes, I will give this. And so I want to read two passages today, one from Romans chapter 5, one from Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to take the next three weeks to form, continue to form. Uh, again, Justin and Thaddeus did a great job of setting up where I want to go for the next couple of weeks. They talked about endurance and suffering, and I want to talk to us now about what that looks like, and I want to frame our conversation for the next three weeks over these two passages, and I want to give us three words to take away today that we're going to keep coming back to over the next several weeks. So in Romans chapter 5, we're only going to read the first eight verses, but for today anyway. Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, verse 1, since we have been declared righteous by faith, again, by faith in what Jesus has done, we've been declared righteous, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still helpless... 
At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a powerful passage. Philippians chapter 3. If you pushed me, Philippians chapter 3 would be my favorite passage in the entire Bible. Love this chapter and what the Apostle Paul does here. We're going to start in verse 17 today and just read through verse 14. But I'd encourage you over this week, Romans chapter 5, Philippians 3, read them every day this week in preparation for what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. Paul says in verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That word garbage is actually literally a word for like dung. I mean, it's, 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 such, a, it's such a harsh word that it's, it's weird that the Apostle Paul would even choose that. But he, he's making an exaggerated moment here that knowing Christ is so far supreme to anything else that it makes everything else look like garbage. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now there's so much to cover from these two passages then I know we're not going to cover it all today. So just take a deep breath. We're not going to cover it all today. Three words that I want you to keep in mind. The first word, purpose. Purpose. I think Thaddeus and Justin did a great job of talking to us about the purpose of suffering. And so I don't want to talk about the purpose of suffering and hardship. I want to, uh, I want to talk to us about the, the, the purpose of endurance. Because when it comes to endurance, we have to keep in mind that endurance has a purpose. Endurance isn't just in hard times. We have to have endurance in good times, too. Because in good times, like the people of Israel, we, become, we, we get tempted to become lazy. We get tempted to become apathetic. We get tempted to let our guard down. And in hard times, we don't, we, that's not the same endurance that we need. So endurance is not just about suffering. But what I want us to understand is that biblical endurance might be different than what we think of when we think of endurance. When we sometimes in our culture think of endurance, we think of getting from point A to point B, the destination. But remember how Justin talked to us about the journey from point A to B and being important? Like if I, we're about to start school. I know, it's August, I'm allowed to say the S word now in my house. 
in, in my house, we're not allowed to say the S word, school, um, until August. Okay, so June and July, it doesn't get brought up. We don't talk about it. Um, we wait till August. That's just always been a rule in our house. I don't think it's important, but um, I'm usually the one that breaks the rule, but get quickly reminded that we don't talk about it. But for some people, they don't like school. And so for them, they're like, I'm going to just endure this year. I just want to get to the end of the year. I just want to, I want to get to the end. That's not biblical endurance, just to get to the end. It's not even biblical endurance to get good grades and get to the end. What biblical endurance is, is to get out of it what I need to get out of it and grow in the ways that I need to grow so that when I come to the end of it, I've been molded and I've been shaped and I've been, I've been able to grow. That's biblical endurance. And that's not just in school, that's in marriage. Some people think, you know, we've stayed married for 40 years, but maybe your relationship, maybe you treat each other poorly. Maybe you're married on paper, but you're not really married in relationship. It's not about just getting to the end. Jesus isn't going to say, hey, well done, you stayed married. Marriage is about growing as an individual. Not me changing my spouse. It's about me growing as an individual. Yeah, my spouse has to grow too, but I can't grow them. I can't make them change, but I can grow. And a lot of times we look at the other person as the one that needs to change, but we're the ones that are responsible for our growth. That's biblical endurance. So whether it's your job that you endure, I just can't wait till, I, I just can't wait till Friday, just got to endure till Friday. What is it that you need to learn through that job? I mean, what is it you need to learn through that relationship? Sometimes when we look at enduring a relationship, we're like, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to make it through the night. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to say something and put that person in their place. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. You know what? You're not growing. In fact, you're making it like that person over there is the only one that needs to grow. I don't need to grow. They need to grow. Why is that person in my life? What character flaw is causing me to want to respond to them in that way? It's not just, whew, I got it through the night without saying anything dumb. What do I need to do to, to be molded and shaped? That's the purpose of endurance. It's not just to get to the end. Now, I get it. There are, there are toxic relationships that at a time we need to put on hold and we need to walk away from. I'm not saying that those are not a thing. But I've had people in my life that have walked away from me that I, apparently I've hurt, and I didn't even know why I hurt them. And in trying to have conversation, trying to, to reconcile the relationship, they weren't interested. Because in their words one day, I said, you know, sometimes a relationship is worth fighting for. And they said, no, if you're in a good friendship with someone, you don't need to fight for it. And I'm like, wow, that is super false. <laughs> because you have to fight. Because we have differing perspectives. And if I'm going to learn and grow from you who are different than me, then I've got to learn to fight against some of the thoughts that I think and some of the things that I think are needing to be for fixed in you when in reality it's something that needs to be fixed in me. Like, I think relationships ought to be fought for in the body of Christ. And so the purpose of endurance is character. What does it say in Romans chapter 5, verse 3? Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Now, notice it doesn't say produces good character. It just produces character. It produces the responses, the habits. And so it could produce Christ-like character in it if we allow it to, 
or it can produce some bitter character or some cynical character. However, we let endurance finish its work in us. The purpose of endurance. James tells us, let endurance finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. That's good. Purpose. Second word. Second word is position. Position. This should have probably been the first word, um, but I, I, I don't know. I, that's the way my brain worked. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul uses the same word, lay hold of, that for which I have been laid hold of. It's the same word to possess or to take hold of. And the first time he uses it, I strain to lay hold of. It's active. I lay hold of this. I want to lay hold of the prize. I want to lay hold of what I've been, the, the life I've been given in Christ. So I strive to do it. But the second time he uses it, different translations will translate this differently because they don't know quite what to do with it because it's in a passive tense. And he says that we have already been taken hold of by Christ. The moment we put faith in Christ, we've already been taken hold of. In other words, salvation is full and complete in me. It's done. My striving to lay hold of things does not add or subtract in any way from my salvation because my salvation is dependent upon my faith in Jesus. That's my identity. That doesn't mean I don't discipline myself. It doesn't mean I don't strive. It doesn't mean I don't press on. That's what Paul is saying here. I strive to lay hold of that which I already have because I've been laid hold of. I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? It's hard to explain in English even. The disciplines are about training ourselves to live out the life we've already received in Christ Jesus. What did he say in Philippians 3.10? I want to know Christ. That's the goal. What did he tell us in Romans chapter 5? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We have access to grace through Jesus Christ. We are justified. We are declared righteous through Jesus Christ. It's done. The moment you look at the cross and say, I believe I've broken God's law. I believe Jesus died in my place. And you put faith in what Christ did. You become perfected in Jesus Christ. And if we don't remember that, we'll be hard on ourselves when we don't run the race well. On days when we've maybe skipped a couple days in our Bible reading, we're going to feel like we're off in our relationship with God. Let me tell you something. He has not moved. Your identity has not changed. Now, I'm not going to tell you that you can never walk away from faith in Christ. I believe you can. I don't believe you fall away from Christ, but I believe you can turn your back on Him and walk away. But I grew up in a church where we white-knuckled it. Man, we hung on to the seat because we just thought, man, if Jesus comes back and you're in that movie theater, he is not coming in there to get you. That is faulty theology. My mistakes, my struggle, sometimes the metamorphosis to be transformed doesn't look the same in my life as it does in your life. And some of us in the room are harder on ourselves than we are on anyone else. And you need to cut yourself some slack. And you need to stop preparing speeches of what you're going to say to the Father when you come back, and you just need to come back. You just need to get back into His presence, and shockingly, you're going to receive mercy, and you're going to find grace. But for some of us, it's not our 
relationship, or not the way we treat ourselves, it's the way we look at others. We're always sizing up other people in the body of Christ. Well, that person calls themselves a Christian, and look at that. Like, they do that, or I can't believe they behave that way, or I can't believe they do that, or I can't... As if the moment we accept Christ, we've, we've entered into this perfect sanctified state. You understand the difference between the word justified and sanctified? Paul tells us we were justified in Romans chapter 5 when we put faith in Christ. We use the phrase, it's just as if I'd never sinned, I've been declared righteous. And so I turn and I face God. I turn and I face the cross. But I have a diagram. Can you throw up that, the picture of the people in the cross? So the moment I turn toward the cross, I'm justified. But sanctification is where we start moving toward the center where we start taking and making changes in our lives so that we actually start looking more like Christ. And the, the problem is all of us are on different journeys. And we're at different levels of, of understanding things and the Holy Spirit is working things out. The, the way the Holy Spirit works out things in your life may not be the way He works them out in my life. The ways that he chooses to topple sins or areas of weakness in my life that, that need to be worked on may not be in the same order that he chose with you. And so our job is not to draw these lines to say who's in and who's out and who's a good Christian and who's not a good Christian. Our job is to say, is that person pointed toward the cross? Are they on a journey? See, this is how Jesus lived. Jesus walked on this earth and he, he sat at a table with people. This is, when we have a table as our logo here at Restoration Church, this is the culture we're trying to create. We recognize that people are individuals. We recognize that everyone's on a journey, that everyone's past is not the same, that some people come to us with all kinds of trauma from their past that needs to be worked out and worked through, and we're not going to put you on a timeline that says you've got to clean this up and then this up and then this up, and this is how you do it. This is the order that it works. Our job is to value you. Our job is to say, hey, have you put faith in Christ? And our job is to just keep you walking towards center. And I know in our day and age, that sounds so dangerous. Oh, Pastor Tom, are you saying that we shouldn't call things sin? No, absolutely, we should call things sin that the Bible calls sin. Yep, we should actually do that. We have to just be careful where we draw lines between sinner and saint who's still being perfected. Because sometimes we draw lines where Jesus didn't draw lines. And the religious community really had a hard time with who was at his table. Position. Our identity. Not just for us, but for the people around us. In Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says it this way, Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive approval. You understand that like, Jesus is for us. And that person that we're tempted to be nitpicky about, and I can't believe they call themselves a believer, and Jesus is for them. And he is trying to move them towards center. And he will never give up on them. He is going to be relentless. And we sometimes like to draw lines and we put people out of our lives or out of our churches and we don't continue to move them towards center. Now I know it's easier to draw lines and be black and white and have everybody measured by the same standard. But grace is a whole lot messier than that. It's a whole lot messier than that. And we're trying to become a church that walks people towards center. Verse 10, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? 
Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other and decide instead to live in such a way that will not cause another believer to stumble. And see, it's easy to look at someone from a distance and figure out what needs to be worked out in their life. This has to be done up close, thus the table. It's not about you need to have a meal with people. It's not about you just actually need to sit at a table with people. But we need to do life close enough with people that we see everything. That we don't just see from a distance what we think we see and we start judging them. We get them at a table with us and we walk them towards center together. That's the type of community, that's the type of relationship that you and I have been called to walk in. If you remember, Jesus told a story about the parable of the weed, wheat, not weed, wheat and weeds. I have this problem a lot when I talk about this parable. The wheat and the weeds. And they were growing together. In our churches, there are wheat and there are weeds. And the disciples, remember, the, the, the landowners in the story were like, hey, do we pull up the weeds? Do we pull them up? And he's like, no, let them grow till the harvest. If you pull up the weeds, you're going to damage the wheat. Because you're going to pull up what you think is a weed, but I'm working on that, and someday it's going to be wheat. Again, not a license to sin, but a license to get close. Remember, from Romans chapter 5, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were his enemies, while we were sinners, he died for us. Remember, when we're tempted to judge that vile, disgusting, ridiculous person, that person has value in the eyes of God enough to send his son to die for them. And maybe at our personal cost, we have to lay down our rights and our privileges in order to help walk someone closer to center. And maybe I have to not point out every flaw I see in their life. Maybe I need to let the Holy Spirit pick out some. And maybe I need to start with one that's different than I would start with. And I need to listen to His voice. And I just need to keep walking them towards center. That's a tough one. We're going to come back to that one. Number three, the third word is perspective. The third word is perspective. From Romans chapter 5, suffering produces endurance endurances produces character and character produces hope biblical endurance will always end in hope always and biblical hope is not wishful thinking it's not like those of you in the room that are vikings fans and uh, right now you have hope that this is your year Um, that's earthly hope that's wishful thinking Sorry, I just, I couldn't resist that one. (laughs) That was terrible of me. Biblical hope is confidence. It's confidence in an outcome even when I don't understand, even when I can't see, even when I don't know the details, even when it doesn't look right. It's confident that God is still working. In Romans chapter 4, we're told a lot about this guy Abraham. It says, this happened... Because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Why can we stay in hope? That thing is dead. How can you be hopeful about that? Well, because I serve a God who brings the dead back to life. 
there's no way. I mean, there's nothing there. How can, you, how can you be hopeful about that? Well, because I serve a God who can bring something out of nothing. I don't know if he will or not, but I trust him with the outcome. Even when, when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing he would become the father of many nations. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years old, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered. I love that, that his testimony is he never wavered. <laughs> and if you look at his story, it looks a whole lot like he wavered. There was that whole Ishmael thing. There was that whole she's my sister thing. Yeah, he wavered a lot. But yet the testimony written about him is he never wavered. Huh. That's interesting. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and then in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Oh, because Abraham did things, God counted... No, because of Abraham's faith. Even before the cross, how is that possible? Well, because Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So God can actually declare people righteous by faith even before Christ died because in his mind, Christ has already died because God doesn't live in time like we do. I know, it's crazy. That's a whole topic for another day. But Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Hope. Hope. We're going to spend over the next couple of weeks talking uh, a little bit about the book of Revelation, chapter, or Revelation as well. I think in, in the last days, uh, we tend to, as evangelical Christians, hone in on the details of Revelation and miss the whole overall point. See, at Restoration Church, we believe that the Bible is one continuous story that God is writing. And we believe that sometimes you can get so in, inundated with the details of one certain verse or one certain scripture that you actually lift it out of the context of the entire word and then you misunderstand it. And I think our understanding of end times theology has really gotten us into this boat. Because a lot of us right now are trying to figure out who Gog and Magog is and, you know, who this army of the north is and what these trumpets are and what these bulls are. And we're, we're, we're in the details. And I'm not saying you can't know any of the details, but we are not viewing end times theology with hope. Most of us are thinking, man, this thing is going to hell in a handbasket. It's getting worse and worse. And finally, someday, Jesus is going to come back. That's not end times theology. God is in the business right now of putting the world back together. He is the restorer of all things. He is making all things new. Now, I'm not saying hard times aren't coming, but this idea that everything's just worse and worse and then, you know, it's all just going to implode isn't a biblical view when you step back and look at the entire Bible or even the entire book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, as we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks, was written to give hope to the church who was being persecuted. And so if your end times theology isn't producing hope, maybe you need to rethink your end times theology. Revelation chapter 13, the beast who's making war on the saints, look at what it says. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Do you remember how the people of God overcome in Revelation chapter 12? They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so as to shrink from death. I'm not sure the evangelical church in our day and age is ready to not love our lives to the point of death. 
And our end times theology is more grab the sword and fight than it is lay down our lives and move people toward the center. It's got to stay in hope. In Revelation chapter 14, we learn the, the outcome for the beast and the followers. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And we can read that and think, oh, praise God, I just need to endure to the end because I know that the beast and his, his followers, they're going to spend eternity in hell, so I just need to hang on. That's not the full story. If we know that the outcome for them is that, patient endurance means me laying down rights and privileges to keep that from happening to them. It's not just me assuring myself, oh, they're going to get theirs. You just hang on. You're going to be okay. You, they're they're going to burn one day. It's, dear God, what do I need to do? What kind of patient endurance do I need to live with so that I make sure they don't ever have to face that? That's biblical eschatology with hope. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. And so we're going we're gonna to drill down on some things. Uh, we're going to cover the book of Revelation a little bit. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm not going to put up a chart up here and I'm not going to tell you what all of these events are going to mean. Um, there, there are other people that do that and you can study that, but I don't know that that's as important as making sure we stay in hope. Because the theme of the book of Revelation is that one day heaven is coming to earth. Remember when the Apostle Paul says that we're going to lay hold of the prize for which God called me heavenward? The prize is in heaven. The prize is being called heavenward. Now heaven is coming, but heaven is coming to earth if you read Revelation chapter 22. And the prize is not one day I get to be with God. The prize is already I am with God. I live with Him. He lives in me. Purpose, position, and perspective. Those are the three words that I want us to keep in the front of our mind as we walk through these next couple weeks. One last scripture I want to give you before we pray. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not become weary in doing good. Let's not just hang on. Let's not just endure. Let's be proactive in doing good. For at the proper time, we reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for what you've made available to us through, through your son. I thank you that before the foundation of the world, the scripture says that Jesus was crucified for us, that he chose that. Even before you said, let there be light, you knew the cost that you would have to pay to redeem and restore us. Thank you for modeling that. Help us to walk in his steps. When he suffered, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he entrusted himself fully to you, knowing that you were working all things for good that you could be trusted with the outcome. And Holy Spirit, I pray that in our lives, 
that you'd help us to come to that same place where we understand the purpose, the character that needs to be formed in our lives, where we understand the position, the identity that we've been given through Jesus Christ. And that in the midst of all of it, that the perspective of hope remains in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray today for each and every person in this room that for those that have put faith in Christ, that their hearts today would do as your word says, that they would overflow with hope by the power of your spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray for those that would be in the room today or those that would be watching online who've never been positioned as sons and daughters, who've never understood what it's like to to come to you, to admit their sin, to put faith in what Christ has done on their behalf by dying on that cross and to be restored to relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that today would be a day that they'd have the, the courage and the understanding to make that decision. And so Holy Spirit, over these next few weeks, as we read through these chapters, as we study them maybe a little bit more in depth, open our hearts, open our minds to the things that you want to do in our lives to transform us so that you can indeed transform our city and our world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, if you're in the room today or you're watching online and you've never, as I, as I prayed in that prayer, if you've never positioned yourself to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ and you want more information about that, uh, I'll be available right over here after service. I'd love to visit with you. If you're online, send us a message. Put it in the, the chat. You can send us a text message. You can send a Facebook message, however you want. And uh, we'd love to get in touch with you and share more about that. Our desire is that each of you turn toward the cross and keep moving toward center. That's what it's about. So over this next week, I'd encourage you Romans chapter 5, Philippians chapter 3. Read through them over and over this week ahead and uh, be ready for what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. Thank you guys for being here today. Uh, Table in the back. A lot of information about our church. Stop there. Offering baskets are back there as well. Thanks for being here. God bless you as you go today.